Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Glad to be with you. My name is Alan, and I want to share with you that uh, the end of last year, I entered into a new world. I'm uh, a kind of a car guy, and uh, in December of last year, I bought a Mercedes-Benz. I've never had a car with a snobby nickname before, never had a Beamer or a Vet or a Benz. They don't make names like that for Hondas. And so, uh, but now I have a Benz. And let me just tell you, I like driving the Benz. I like saying, I'll take the Benz and go out for a little drive. I like uh, how it feels. I like how it steers. I like the suspension. I like how it turns. I like how the doors open and close very crisply. I like driving a car and at the front always being able to see that Mercedes-Benz logo to remind me I'm driving a Benz. I like that out there. I like driving and having that sense of this car is better than a lot of the other cars around me. I like that feeling. I like uh, getting out of my car and, uh, and feeling like I am, I am an important person. I, I like the idea that maybe somebody might look like me, at me and say, that's a successful person. They just got out of a Benz. Uh, I went to the service station for the first time because I'd never had a Benz. So I went to the Mercedes-Benz thing because there was a recall for something. They just want to make sure everything's perfect. And so I went over there and, and they treated me like royalty. And hello, Mr. Fuller, I want to take care of you. And uh, you can go, uh, uh, go hang out in the service lounge. That would be terrific. And I was in there and met some other uh, fellow Mercedes-Benz owners as we enjoyed some snacks and drinks while we were waiting, etc. Now, before, before I continue, let me ask you a question. How do you feel right now? How do, you, how do you feel or what do you think about me and my character? How has this little introduction kind of sit with you? Because this morning I'm talking about pride. This this thing that in uh, subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways that, that shows up in our lives and has a tremendous impact on our relationship with others and how others view us and how others experience us, etc. We're going to talk about pride. Now, for the record, I did get a Mercedes in December of last year, but it's 15 years old. It has a salvage title, and it's pretty much a piece of junk. It's... <laughs> It's, it's not all that impressive, and, it might, and I'm letting my son drive it and all that kind of stuff, and we're kind of barely getting by with it. But So that's part of it's true. And if you're brand new, if this is your first time here, you were invited by somebody, I'm so sorry for the first impression that I gave you. And if you're watching on Facebook or listening, I hope you didn't shut this down two minutes ago uh, because it was just so yuck and distasteful, etc. There is a risk sometimes when you're trying to make a point. So, okay. So, but we are talking about pride today, what that looks like, what it feels like, and what God has to say about it. So would you bow your heads with me? I'd love to pray with you. Father, I thank you that you are here, that you love us, that you do not let us get by with areas in our lives that are, that are uh, broken and separating us from you. And so with regard to pride, God, we invite you to come and, and go into those places in our lives. God, would, we, would you meet us in our willingness to open up our hearts, open up our, our, the, the truth of who we are so that you could come and cleanse us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Pride is ugly. 
it's ugly and it's sneaky. Last week I talked about greed and greed is something that is never attractive in somebody else. It's never appealing, never inspiring other people. And the same can be said about pride. It's this, it's this ugly thing that is unfortunately very prevalent, uh, but it's often hidden in the a mess of uh, the corner of our garage, this, uh, of our spiritual garage. The series that we're in is called Cleaning Out the Garage, and the idea is that we're looking at some of the seven deadly sins, and we are identifying some of these areas in our lives that, that, are, that are subtle, that are kind of hidden in our garage that we don't think about, we just walk past and we let them sit there and that God wants to go after that stuff and, and wash us clean and, and uh, wash this out and not allow these things to fester and to stay there. And the way that we're walking through these, these more subtle issues is uh, through the power of confession. That if we confess and not just respond to the things that we got caught doing, but we, we come before God and we confess, what other areas of my life am I not aware of that you want to come and clean out? Just clean out the garage to identify what's going on, to examine what it is and where it's come from. And God, how do you want to deal with that? And so that's what we're doing this morning with the issue of pride. And then we have a couple more in the upcoming weeks that you will not want to miss. Okay, lots of fun. But uh, today, as we go after uh, pride, I want to remind you of our main verse for this whole series from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. John writes, uh, I want to read it with you, okay? Would you say this with me? Just read it on the screen. Let's read it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is particularly for you who have been here throughout this series. What I want to do now is read it again with a few pieces missing, all right? We can do this. Ready? Let's read it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all very good. Well done. Well, by the end of the series, we're going to memorize this, whether you like it or not. We're going to take this verse and say, God, how do you want to use this to, to, to move me uh, to clean areas of my life? So today we're talking about pride. How can we identify pride in our lives? Pride often is when we enter into the comparison mode. Pride is so often about, not just about what's going on in me, it's about me comparing myself to somebody else. It's not a sin to want to be smart or, or fast or creative and just to maximize uh, who we are and what's going on in our lives. That's not a sin. Pride is when we have to compare ourselves while we're doing that. Pride is when it's all about being smarter than that person or faster than that person. And, it's, and it comes from a you know, it doesn't come from a competitive, wonderful place. It comes from kind of a nasty, beat him or her place. Pride is when we want to be creativer than somebody else. Pride is the natural thing in us that wants to, that just kind of wants to elevate ourselves above others. My car is nicer than your car. It's, uh, it's elevating ourselves. I'm better than you. I'm more valuable than you. I'm higher than you are. Pride leads us to hide our imperfections. 
Because we don't want to reveal, we don't want to be honest about the ways that we're imperfect or broken or, or fallen short because that means we have to drop somehow. We can't stay in this heightened place if we reveal our imperfections and that messes us up and it slows us down from what God has for us. Pride is something that we need to ask ourselves, can I identify this in my life? Social media has not been real helpful on the issue of pride. Social media, in a number of different ways, uh, actually stirs this up a little bit with the selfies. Click, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look how cute I am early in the morning without even doing anything. I do that all the time. That's what I say. Look how cute I am. Pride is, is, you know, it shows up in social media when we just kind of say, here's my perfect life, here's my perfect family, here's my perfect food that I'm eating. And so I want to present this picture and kind of elevate myself. See, we have a better vacation than when you had, et cetera. And so, so there's this thing that, that, that elevates it up, that lifts it up, that wants it to go higher and higher. What I want to do is, is set up a little bit of a metaphor with something from the garage. And it's this item right here, it's this handy dandy ladder. And so if we're going to call this the ladder of success that we're all familiar with, the ladder of success in life, where do we want to be on the ladder of success? The very top, the very top. I mean, we see the ladder and we see opportunities and it's a natural desire to say, I don't want to be down here. I want more and I want to climb the ladder. And it's a, it's a natural thing to say, I want to get the most out of life. See, see, you might be nervous, but, but you're not standing right here. So just think about how that feels. So, so, but it's natural to say, I want to climb the ladder of life to respond to the army commercial and be all that you can be. That we only have so many days in our lives. We only have so many years. Let's make the most of it. Let's maximize it and, and make the most out of our lives. Is that okay? Well... It's interesting because the disciples of Jesus had a, had a similar interest in wanting to climb the ladder. They were followers of Jesus, the 12 closest to Jesus. And on more than one occasion, they asked Jesus things like, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? At one point, this is multiple times, but at one point, James and John, who were brothers, they're known as the sons of thunder. How awesome is that nickname for these guys? The sons of thunder. And at one point they came up to Jesus and they said, we have a great idea. When we win, when, when we win and you are king of all the universe, you're king of all kings. When we win, how about I sit on your right hand and my brother sits on your left hand? Or if you want me to sit on the left, my brother to sit on the right, that's fine. Either way, it's all good. What's interesting is that in that situation, and in the other situations where the disciples ask about who will be the greatest in the kingdom, at no time does Jesus reprimand them for their desire to climb, for their desire to, to be great. Jesus kind of changes the question a little bit and, and asks them, you know, reminds them that it, it's not all about what you might think it is. It's not all about leadership. It's actually about servanthood. It kind of redefines what it means to climb one point, he, he, he uh, challenges them by saying how costly this will be, how costly this is. 
But at no point does he say, get off the ladder. Don't even think about the ladder. Don't, don't even think about how to be great, how to maximize your life, etc. I'm going to get down now. <laughs> it's not prideful to want to make the most out of life. It's not prideful even to be confident because God's given you gifts. And it's not prideful to say, I'm, I'm gifted at this. I'm good at this. That's why I'm doing well in my field. I'm doing well in school, whatever. It's not prideful to be, to be confident, to, to um, uh, elevate and climb up the ladder in that way. Pride kicks in when we stay here. Pride kicks in when we go up and we say, this is where I belong. This is who I am. And in a sense, I'm higher than the rest of you. I'm better than the rest of you. I'm more important than the rest of you. So again, the question is, can we identify pride in our lives? If I ask any of you the question, do you think you're more important than others? Do you think you're more important than everybody else? Well, of course we'd say no. I mean, what kind of human being would say yes to that? There might be some, but nobody here in this room, I'm quite sure. We wouldn't respond to that. We wouldn't. So in other sense, if that's what pride is, then maybe you don't struggle with pride. But pride is, is, is it, it's sneaky. Whenever we lie or cheat or are obsessed with trying to please somebody, sometimes even people who don't even give a rip about who we are, Whenever we pursue that stuff, that's pride. That's, I, I, wanna, I wanna be as high as I can on that ladder in comparison with other people. Whenever we fail to apologize when we are responsible for something in our marriages, in our significant relationships at work, whenever we, we just can't admit that we are responsible, that's pride. Whenever we can't celebrate someone else's success and we're standing here and someone we know, whether we like them or not, they, they take a few steps up the ladder and when we look at that and we just, and we can't talk to them and you know, it's better not to say anything than it is to say something nasty and we kind of step back from all that. That's pride. I venture to say, every relational problem you've ever had in your life Every relational problem you have right now, every problem with a fellow student, with a teacher, with a sibling, with your parents, with a coworker, with your boss, with your employees, with your spouse, with your kids, every relational problem you've ever had is rooted in pride. It's one or more person saying, I'm more important than you are. I can't forgive you. I'm better than you. I don't need to change. I don't need to listen to you. I don't need you. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, he talks a lot about pride. He writes a lot about pride. He, in fact, he says that pride is the mother of all sins. Pride is the one that births the other sins. Uh, so take a look at, at, at addiction. If you can't admit that something has a hold of your life, and it's, it's, whether it's substance or, or whatever, 
Whether, you know, one of the big five addictions or it's something much more subtle in your life. If you can't admit that something has a hold, has some control in your life, if you can't confess that, then essentially you don't have an addiction problem. You have a pride problem. Pride is, is that prevalent. It's the inability to be able to admit, to identify mistakes. And it is prevalent. So where does it come from? Where does, what's the status of pride in our culture now? One of the things that I've noticed just anecdotally in my time as a pastor over the last number of years is that the concept of narcissism seems to have surfaced more. It just, it just, I've heard more people talk about it. I've heard more people kind of uh, uh, addressing that, deal with that. I've heard it in the news. I've heard it in, in, in th- I've read it in things that I've uh, looked at, books that I've read, et cetera. This idea of narcissism, it just seems to be more and more common. And so I, I wondered, is that, just, is that just a sense or a feeling or is there any support for that? So I looked up, there is some uh, um, support in the, in the psychological world, in, in, in psychology, that over the last three decades, there have been a number of studies that have shown an increase in the number of people who struggle with narcissism. And it really is a struggle, that idea of thinking that the world revolves around you and, 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 that, um, and that you are better than others. That's not only a frustration for everyone around you if you're struggling with narcissism, but it's a struggle for yourself. It's hard to keep up with that. It's a, it's a difficult way to live life. I read an article by a guy named Peter Gray who wrote a book called Free to Learn. And I didn't read the book, so I can't endorse the book, but I read an article about the book, which is way easier. And so, <laughs> so I read this article, and he was addressing narcissism and its increase in our culture in the past few decades. And he identifies two reasons, two possible reasons for that that I find quite interesting. First of all is the Your Special movement among parents in the 80s and 90s in in an effort to boost the self-esteem of kids, which is great. We want to boost the self-esteem of kids. We want kids to be secure and confident, et cetera. But in an effort to do that, there's, there was kind of this parental uh, movement to say, to say to all kids all the times, you're special, you're awesome, you're great, you can do anything. You're special, you're awesome, you're great. You can do anything. You're special, you're awesome, you're great. Which led some people to feel like they were born here. Which, which, which may have led some to kind of have this sense of, this is who I have been told this my whole life. There's nothing to climb. This is who I am. I'm already here. And then a second thing that he, that he identifies, which I find, I think, even more fascinating and kind of unique. I had, I'd never heard of this before, but he talked about the decline in play. That in recent generations, there's been less and less undirected playtime among kids. And I absolutely see this in, in my own experience, in my own family, that when I was young, you know, as sun comes up and you take off and you're gone all day, you do whatever, you figure it all, and then the sun comes down, you come home, maybe when the sun comes down, you know, you just kind of play all day and figure this all out and lots of looseness and it's just different now. It has been with my kids and so much more um, a direction around playtime. And why this is important is that play is by definition voluntary. That to play with somebody means there's a voluntary engagement. That if, that if I'm not having fun, 
I can, I can step out of it any time. I'm not forced to play for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. It's not the official play time. It's undirected play time. So if this isn't any fun, I can move on to something else. The reason that's significant to have a number of undirected playtime experiences for kids, according to Peter Gray, is that if this child understands that, that the friend could take off at any time if, if, if it's not fun or if it's not enjoyable, then the child is much more likely naturally to be mindful of the thoughts and the feelings and the experiences of the other kid. That there's this embedded empathy into kids with more undirected playtime to just kind of say, you know what? I'm not the king of the world. I'm not in charge of everything. I'm not the best, special, better than everybody else. I've got to kind of work with this person and we can figure it out together to see are we gonna keep on playing together and having fun or am I gonna offend you and you're gonna move on and then I'm gonna sit here alone. And so it's, it's this idea of having a natural build development for us to be mindful and, and have empathy towards those we're interacting with. And, and are, we, are we struggling with that a little bit, leading to a little bit more, I'm, I'm, I'm special, it's all about me, I'm on top. It's okay, it's okay, I think, to climb the ladder, to, want, to go higher, to go higher. It's okay to do that, but it's prideful to stay up there. It's prideful to just stay up there and camp as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the opportunity I had a couple of years ago to go to India. And I went with a friend of mine, and we got to visit some rural, small Christian churches. And I remember one time we walked into this tiny little church. It was, the, it was actually a church opening, and they were, it was the first time that people had gathered in there, and my friend and I were special guests for this event. And when I walked into, the, into this little church, there was this crowd of beautiful little kids who came up and they hung a, a, a wreath around my neck that was handcrafted with flowers. And it was gorgeous. It's like a, like a lei in Hawaii, except more extravagant than anything I had seen before. Just, it was actually heavy. It had so many flowers on it. It was handcrafted and absolutely gorgeous. And so I got one and my friend got one and we walked in. And we were so honored. We were lifted up, elevated as special guests in this moment. And then we went in and we sat down. And my friend, who was more familiar with the customs there, he looked to me and he said, he said, remove it from your neck. So we, we take it off. As soon as we sat down, we would take it off and set it down beside us. Because if we kept it on, we would be communicating to our hosts arrogance. We'd be communicating to them, hey, thank you for elevating me, and I will stay in this place of elevation because I'm important. But instead, what, we're, what, we, what you do in terms of the custom is you come in and you take it off to say, thank you for honoring me, and now we get to do this together. We get to worship together and hang out together because we, we, are, we are on the same level here. That pride wants to stay up here. But the antidote to pride is this beautiful thing called humility. The, the, the remedy for pride is humility. Pride wants to stay up here and humility says, come on down. It's okay to experience that, get a taste of it, enjoy it, have it around your neck, and then take it off. Come on down. Sometimes we may have to say to some of the people we love, some of the people in our family every once in a while, okay, good job, great job. 
Come on down. Come on down. Pride is, is staying up here, and humility is, is letting that go, enjoying it, and then letting it go. Come on down. And this is very important to the one who made us. Humility is a very important topic and concept and idea throughout Scripture. That God, the one who made us and understands us, references pride and humility multiple times throughout Scripture. I want to take a look at one of those in 1 Peter chapter 5. Near the end of the Bible, near the end of the New Testament, Peter, one of the disciples, he talks about the, in chapter five, he talks about the elders who are in an elevated place in the church and saying, make sure you understand what it means to be an elder, that it's your job to serve others. It's not to be more important or better than others. And then he talks about the young people and he says, respect the elders and, and don't think that, that no matter how skilled you are, that you were born up here and you get to stay up here, etc. So all of this leads to chapter five, verse five. First Peter chapter five, halfway through verse five, He says this poetically, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Again, this isn't the only time these concepts are mentioned throughout scripture, mentioned multiple times, but I just pulled this one out because I love the, the poetry of it. God opposes the proud. It's like biking or running against the wind. And I know a lot of you bike and run, and you know that experience of just having the wind come against you. And when we live lives of, of, of pride, when we walk around thinking we are better than others, higher, more important than others, we will experience resistance from God. If you feel like you're experiencing resistance in your life, in your journey, and how things are going, could it be that God's opposing the proud? On the other hand, God favors the humble. That's like riding your bike downhill. What, what, what a great moment that is. You know when you come to the crest of the hill and you finally get flat for a little while and then you start to get some momentum, you're going, yes, and the wind is behind you and you're just going, moving, yes, I love this. Love the downhill. God when we choose to climb down, when we say, hey, this was a great experience, I'm climbing down, God favors the humble. He says, good job, good job. And then Peter continues in the next verse, and I'll finish after that. He continues with the whole idea, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It's okay to, to want to experience the most out of life and, and, and go higher and, and experience the maximum that life has to offer. It's okay to, to lift other people up. In fact, it's a beautiful thing to lift people up and encourage those you're working with and encourage your spouse and, and lift up your kids, not in a generic, you're special, you're great at everything way, but in a, I see something in you, I see what God has put in you and I want to encourage that and inspire that. You are good at this and lifting people up is a great thing. It's a great thing to be lifted up by others, to be encouraged by others. It's a beautiful thing. But the greatest one of all is when God lifts us up. The greatest of all these is this idea of God lifting us up. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this phrase about God lifting us up. 
I, I remember uh, when I was in college and I was uh, playing guitar and leading worship, there was a song that came out of James uh, 4.10, uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I remember singing that song. What does that mean? What does that mean? That God will lift you up. You ever thought about that? What does that look like for you? If you have a relationship with Jesus, what does it look like for God to lift you up? Does that happen here or is that something that we need to wait for eternity to experience? Let me, let me just throw out a couple examples of what it might be. When we lift ourselves up, we might, for example, have a tendency to pursue a career that is prestigious but is not even something we enjoy. To say, I, I want to be lifted up, and this is that kind of a career. I would never want to do one of those things because it's not as high as this, even though this is what I really want to do. But when we let God lift us up, then we, we look for open doors of opportunity. And God leads us through those doors to experience incredible things, to invite us into Ways that we can be inspiring towards others and life change in, in other people, which can look a number of different ways. It can look like a prestigious job. It may not look like that. It may mean you drive a Mercedes, whatever. Who, who knows? There's a number of different ways God may choose to do that, but we just trust God to lift us up instead of us doing it. When we lift ourselves up, we usually oversell and, and underdeliver. That's typically what happens when we lift ourselves up and, and we get into all this. When we let God lift us up and we, we enter into these things humbly, we enter into a, a dating relationship, we don't oversell ourselves, we just enter in humbly, we enter into a, 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 an interview conversation for a job and we don't oversell ourselves, we just come in, we bring humility and we let God choose. Somebody else might bring something up. Somebody else might, might, they might become aware of something a few days later. You did that? Wow, that's awesome. God may want to bring that stuff in. And then you, you just let God lift you up and take care of those pieces if God chooses to do so in due time. And we can trust God with that stuff. When we lift ourselves up, that's when we have a tendency to say, I can, I can do this. I can do anything. I'm fully in control. I can stop anytime I want. But when we let God lift us up, when we humble ourselves and let God take care of that, then we enter into that and say, I can't do it all. I can't do everything. In this area of my life, I'm powerless. I need help. I need help from God. I need help from the people that God has put around me so that I can overcome this thing in my life. That's the place of humility. Anyone who has walked the path of addiction understands the difference between trying to lift yourself up and trusting God to lift you up. Anyone who has walked the path of addiction understands the difference between pride and humility. Pride is thinking you're better than everybody else and wanting to stay up there, humility is coming down, which is exactly what Jesus did. Paul, in Philippians chapter two, has this incredible poem just outlining the humility of Jesus 
who, though he was equal with God, left heaven and came down to become one of us, to engage with one of us, to understand what it means to be one of us. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Paul says. So if Jesus can do that, maybe we can clean up some of the pride on the messy shelves of our spiritual garage. If Jesus can do that, maybe we can think differently about the other people in our lives that we tend to look down on. Maybe we can, can no longer think we're better than some of those folks in our family. Thinking we're better than some of the people in our neighborhood or at work. Think we're better than people in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. Maybe we can stop thinking we're better than some other race. God favors those who climb down, who humble themselves, who say, you know what, if there's an opportunity for me to succeed, for me to thrive, I'll take it and I'll enjoy it, but I don't need to climb the ladder of success. I can come down from that ladder. I can come down from from the celebrate my achievements and how great I am. I can come down from that and let God lift me up. What I want to do as we close here is I want to pray with you, and then after that, the band is going to lead us in a song that celebrates the humility of Jesus. And so I know there's a tendency to zip on out real quick, and I just ask if you would, just, just, just come on down, and just, just stay where you are, and, let, and, and humbly give a moment to just say, Jesus, you did that for us, for me, and then to reflect on how humility could show up for you this week. Would you stand? I want to pray with you, and then we're going to sing together. Father in heaven, I thank you once again that you are relentless in your passion to to clean up our garage, that you don't want to tolerate us continuing with, with messy areas of our lives. And so... Father, you know how much our pride hurts us and hurts those we love and breaks your heart. So God, I ask that you would help us identify pride in our lives, examine it, and deal with it and let go of it. God, would you, during this song, during this day, this week, God, would you reveal to us ways that you want to lift us up as we humbly come to you. In your son's name we pray, amen.